Come with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, 14th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. The title of the message tonight is Lessons in Serving God. Lessons in Serving God. Keep praying for Fania to uh, say as well, you see Fania is not with us today. She's through her procedure uh, on her knee and uh, is just not able to be out and about at the moment. It's quite swollen at the minute as well. And uh, so pray for that, that it'll heal up and go well for her. Uh, Matthew 14 and reading from verse 13. <clears throat> when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, and besides women and children. Feeding of the 5,000 is unique among all the miracles that record it uh, of Christ. Uh, unique because it's the only miracle that all four Gospels record. It is the only miracle that John records that the other three record. It is for sure the most public of all of the miracles that Jesus did. And it is the miracle that touched the most lives at one time. Now we don't have time tonight, wish we did, to read all of the four Gospels account because all of them are slightly different. Uh, some leaves out apart, others fill in apart. And so, as I refer to this tonight, I will refer to parts perhaps that's just not in this particular gospel, but are in other gospels that we haven't time to read this night. And so this is possibly the most memorable of all of the miracles. It wasn't done for sensationalism. Jesus never did a miracle uh, for sensationalism, uh, but it was done for service. It wasn't done just simply to feed the people and, oh, uh, it did feed the people, and it was done for that, but not simply for that. It was done as a lesson of service uh, for Christ's disciples. These disciples were on a three-year crash course in servanthood 
and discipleship. The world needed to be won. They were the ones who were going to have to win it. And so they were about to receive some invaluable lessons on service. And these lessons that they received are our lessons too. All of us, to one degree or the other, should be in service for the Master. Doesn't mean you have to be on a platform, on a pulpit like me or this worship team. But it does mean to some degree or other, somewhere or other, somehow or other, that you are serving the Lord. And so the first thing I want to say and the first lesson we need to learn is this, that we serve God by commitment, not by convenience. If we serve God by convenience, we will simply do it in our time, in our way, if and when we feel like it. If the mood takes us, we'll do it. If we're not in the notion of it, then we probably won't. And many, many, many believers, that is their extent of service. It's a convenience thing. They feel good when they're doing it. They feel they've accomplished something. Happy about it. But it's once in a while. It's if it's convenient. If it doesn't put them out too much. If it doesn't mean them rearranging their diary or their day. Fine. But whenever we serve God by commitment, then we do it in His time and in His way, and we do it whether we feel like doing it or not. We do it because it needs to be done. And should it mean that we have to reschedule anything and everything else around it, then that's what we need to do. And there's a big difference between convenience and commitment. The disciples looked at the crowd. All they saw were problems. Jesus looked at the crowd and he saw possibilities. He saw potential. He saw a wonderful opportunity to bless people. The disciples said, and this shows you their convenience mode, the disciples said, send them away. The day is far spent. It's evening time. And anyway, 200 pennyworth of bread would not be enough to feed all this lot. So send them away, let them buy food at some local shop. Trouble was, there was no local shops. This was a deserted place. It was also nighttime. Sun was going down. Nowhere would be open. But they just didn't want to be put out. And then he eventually says, well, we've got five loaves and two fishes, but what's that among so many? One excuse after another not to serve. Now, you have to understand that these disciples were just back that day from a tour, if you will, of reaching out and touching many people. So they were tired. They probably felt, well, I've done my bit. Thank you very much. Well, Jesus had done his bit too. And he was tired. 
And that's why they'd got in a boat and went to the other side. But when the crowd heard that, then they followed ahead and met Jesus there. And his heart was moved with compassion towards them. And even though it was highly inconvenient, and even though it didn't seem like the right time, but still there was service to be done. Notice they were basically saying two things. It's the wrong time and it's the wrong place. Had it been any other time or any other place, but it's the wrong time, it's the wrong place. Well, let me just tell you very clearly that most of the service that we do for the Lord, it will seem like the wrong time. It will seem like the most inconvenient time. People's needs are not very convenient if you're in the business of reaching out to help people, you're going to find that it's not very convenient. I have lost count of the times I have got phone calls at midnight or had to go to hospital at three or four in the morning even, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm happy to do that. What I'm saying is, it's usually not convenient. <laughs> Sometimes you're tucked up in bed nice and warm, and you have to go out in a cold night. But hey, wait a minute, that person... <laughs> They couldn't help it. They couldn't help when sickness was going to strike them or they were going to be in a car accident. So serving God is not usually going to be convenient. It usually will seem like it's the wrong time. And often it will seem like it's the wrong place. This is a deserted place. Apostle Paul had to serve God in the most inconvenient places the wrong places, in prison of all places, in front of pagan kings of all places, on a ship that was sinking of all places, <laughs> on a pagan island where they thought there were gods of all places, in the midst of Athens with all of its gods and all of their gods that they worshipped and all that great panoramic view of all that city full of sensuality and wickedness and paganism. But that's where he served God. Acts chapter 8 tells us about Philip, a great evangelist, how he went to that city and he saw many mighty miracles and devils were cast out of people and there was a whole occult business in that city and people were giving up the occult. Even their top occultists made a profession of faith when they saw these mighty miracles. And right in the midst of that, when God was moving mightily, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to a desert place a deserted place. There's one man there, Ethiopian eunuch. He needs your help. <laughs> Imagine having to leave the best campaign he was ever in his life. Imagine having to leave the greatest soul-winning experience he ever had. And he had to leave all of that behind and go out into the desert and find just one man. It's not always convenient. 
doesn't always seem the right time or the right place. But do we serve God by commitment or do we serve God by convenience? If you make up your mind that you're going to serve God by commitment, uh, then you're prepared for the inconvenience. It's par for the course that comes with the job. Now sometimes we have a little whine and a moan to ourselves because we're human. But you quickly get over that. You say, well, this is what I signed up for. <laughs> this is what I do. This is who I am. You think of Jesus. You think of that three years of ministry. Boy, he packed a lot into that, didn't he? I don't know if any of us could have followed him around for just one day in ministry. I mean, he must have just exhausted everybody around him. And even the Lord, even after that full day of ministry, and even though when he was tired and he was weary and he just wanted a break, he says, come apart for a while, let's just rest, come apart. And even in the midst of that, the people wouldn't let him. But his heart of compassion reached out. And he got over the fact that it seemed to be the wrong place and the wrong time because there was service to be done. Serving God is by commitment, not by convenience. Serving God is both spiritual and practical. It's both natural and supernatural. It's heavenly, it's earthly. It's our faith and it is our works together. That's what it is. It's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. David said to the giant, he said, you come at me with sword and bow and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts of the armies of Israel. But then what did he do? He took up his slingshot. It was the name of the Lord and it was the slingshot. Jesus said, to the disciples, cast your net to the right side of the ship. Jesus, if he wanted, could have got those fish to jump into that boat. But he wanted them to do something. He said to the man, when he put the mud in his eyes, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He said to the ten lepers, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. He said to Mary and Martha, roll away the stone, the one who is going to raise the dead. The one who said, if we had faith as a grain of mustard seed, we could say to this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea. You think he couldn't have done that with a stone? Of course he could. But he told them to go and to roll away the stone. Said to the man with a withered hand, stretch forth your hand. And do you remember in 1 Kings 17, where the prophet comes to the widow woman whom the Lord had commanded to feed him. The trouble was she had nothing to feed him with. <laughs> and he come and he met her and he said, could you give me a little portion to eat and could you give me a little something to drink? She says, oh my Lord, she says. She says, I've just a little meal in the barn. And she says, I'm just going to make one last meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. <laughs> what did he say next? He says, go and give me a cake first. 
give me a cake first. She had to do something. She had to do something first. Children of Israel marched around Jericho 13 times. I'm sure their wee feet was tired and weary. And their flip-flops. Jericho was a big city. It's a big march around it. But they had to do it 13 times at all before God moved and the walls fell. And so, serving God is it's both spiritual and practical. Whenever Mark writes this story in Mark chapter 6, Mark adds a little bit. He says uh, that Jesus said to them, get them to sit down by, by companies and by ranks. Now, apart from the fact that being Jewish, that the males and the females would have been separated at this time and the children, this was a very large crowd. 5,000 men alone, besides women and children. So you do the maths. If every man had a wife, and probably didn't, but if they had, and every f couple had three or four or five children, that's a lot of people, isn't it? You might be talking a minimum of 10,000 people here. And there they are, all sitting in this deserted place where this grass was and this kind of natural amphitheater. And Jesus surveying them. In fact, when it says he saw them, the word saw there is actually the word where we get theater from. And so it's as if he's, he's looking like he's looking at a dramatization and he can see everything that's going on and everything that needs to be done. He's orchestrating the whole thing. So he says, get them to sit down by companies and by ranks. The word companies there means tables. The word ranks means flower beds. In other words, get them to sit in little groups, probably in rows, like you'd get a flower bed where you'd have a row of tulips and a row of daffodils and a row of petunias and a row of dandelions. No, no, you want one of those. And you'd have them in rows. So what I'm saying, I'm saying that this required a lot of effort and work and organization and distribution. It just didn't happen. It had to be organized. There's an awful lot of practical work has to be done. After this service tonight, should have made this announcement, after this service tonight, there's several big boxes there that's got to go up under the roof space of this church. Because if it doesn't, it'll be sitting here the next Christmas. And I'm not kidding when I say that. We have stuff sometimes set from one year to the next. But it'll not be this year. Because after this service, there's going to be a bunch of you big, burly, strong men, and you're going to hump that stuff up under that. Isn't that right, Kathy? Up under that roof space. <laughs> when you walk in and here a Sunday, and this place is all nice and neat and clean and tidy, and you look at those seats and you think Ken had put a laser beam on them. Somebody had to do it. It requires a lot of practical work just to do it. And then after the crowds were gone, it didn't end there. 
And after you're gone out of here, it doesn't end there. Because they had to pick up the fragments that remain. There's work to be done. You know, after we have the family fun day every year, there's an awful lot of people scatters. <laughs> and there's just a small group left to tidy up. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. But that's what the kingdom of God's like. And this is why it requires just about everybody to do something. Just to make it a little bit easier. So serving God is both spiritual and it is practical. Serving God is not only dependent on how much you have, but on how much you are willing to give. Now here's the fact of it. There is a sense in which you will never have enough. Your supply will always be too small by yourself. You're never going to have enough talent. You're never going to have enough ability. You're never going to have enough time. You're never going to have enough to give. You're just never going to have enough. Why? Because the demands are so great. They'll outstrip you and me and everybody. But it's not dependent on how much we've got. It's dependent on how much we're willing to give. If we're willing to give, God will give it to us to give. If we're willing to give the time, God will make sure we get the time. If we're willing to give of its finances, God will make sure we have it. If we're willing to give. If you're willing to give the talent you've got, God will enhance your abilities. You'll be able to do more than you ever thought you could do. Five loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? It's not enough. Can't do it. Imagine out of all of that great vast crowd, that's all they could find. One little boy who kept his lunch. I don't know whether his parents was in the crowd or whether his mother packed a little lunch for him that day and he said, I'm going out to see Jesus. He's over there and he's going to be preaching all day. I want to go and see this man. Maybe she packed a little lunch for him. Maybe he was so enraptured with Jesus speaking that he forgot to eat. But out of all of that vast crowd, that's all there was. One little boy in that great crowd with a little uneaten lunch. No wonder the disciples said, but what are they among so many? There's no possible way that that can meet that need. And oftentimes that's where God wants us to be, in that place where we haven't got enough to do it. If we could do it in our own strength, and our own ability, then we don't need God. Sure we don't. But when we haven't got it, and you have to say, God, I can't do this unless you help me. I've got to pray that prayer every week before I stand in this pulpit, and that's what every preacher's got to do. I can't do this unless you help me. It's not natural ability. I don't have it within me. And you don't have it within you either. Even if you had some natural ability, it's never going to be enough. You're going to need God's help. And that's the place where he gets us to be. So it's not dependent on how much you have, but how much are you willing to give? Little is much when God is in it, isn't it? The little woman stood at the treasury and Jesus watched and she had only two little coins. That's all she had. 
Everybody was putting in out of their abundance. She put in out of her want. That was the one that Jesus commended, wasn't it? Called the disciples and says, look, see what she's done today? She gave out of her want, out of her need. It's all she had and she gave everything. And Jesus saw that, he acknowledged it, and he commended her for that. I was reading recently, I had never known this or seen this before, but I had been reading recently. I had known that outside the treasure they would be, there would be uh, uh, not buckets, or, but some kind of receptacles is the word I'm looking for to put the money into. And uh, I had read recently where there was a number of these and there would be ones for the upkeep of the temple and, but then there would be one for the alms for the poor, for the needy. And the writer said that she must have came with her two little coins and she must have looked and thought, now if I put this into the upkeep of the temple, there'd be nothing for the poor, but if I put it all into the upkeep of the poor, there'd be nothing for the temple. So she put one on one and put one on the other. <laughs> I don't know whether that happened or not, but I'd like to think that it did. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? But wherever she put it, Jesus saw it because he was standing right there. Little as much of God is in it. I remember whenever I came into full-time ministry, you could not believe how inferior I felt. You could not believe how unprepared I felt. I'd never been to Bible school. So I wasn't coming out of Bible school thinking I was just going to take the word by its tail, as many do. The word's waiting for me to arrive. A good friend of mine, a pastor, says one day he got a phone call from a student in America. He had been visiting his church the year before. So he says he's finished Bible school and he rang me up. And he says, Pastor, he says, I want to come over to Ireland. He says, he says I'm just waiting to be poured out to the nations. <laughs> I says, what did you say? He says, well, I was very polite with them and all, but I thought, it'd be a long way to be poured out to the nations. <laughs> I wasn't ready to be poured out to the nations or this nation or any other nation. I felt, Lord, how in the world am I going to do this? I remember saying to a particular girl in the church at that time, and I know it's a cliche now, but I didn't know then. I'd never heard it. But I remember in conversation, saying to her how, how inadequate I felt with this call. And she said to me, I know it's a cliche, but I didn't know it before. She says, David, it's not your ability God wants. It's your availability. And she says, the reason why you're here is because you were available. You made yourself available. God will give you the ability. <coughs> Do you know that helped me enormously? Because I didn't think of any ability for anything other than knocking down a wall or driving a minibus. That was the, honestly, that was, that was the length and breadth of what I thought I could do, and I'd be happy to do that. Still do it to this day if I had to. But it was availability. You see, it's not how much you have, but how much are you willing to give? Are you available? best place to be is when you can say to yourself, Lord, I can't do this unless you help me. 
That's the best place to be. Because then he steps in and he helps you. And who gets the glory then? He gets the glory, isn't it? Another lesson we learn is that he is the supplier and we are the servers. He is the supplier, we are the servers. Now, if you went to, say, a top restaurant like the Savoy in London, I know you couldn't afford it, but just say, imagine. And you got there and you ordered your meal. And your waiter or waitress took your order. Then they disappeared into the kitchen where you can't go. But in that kitchen, there's a head chef. And he's got a whole, any number of chefs under him, all specializing in different things. There's one who does the desserts. There's one who does the starters. There's one who does the main meals. So they all are brilliant at their job. But there's one head chef. And he makes sure all of them are doing what they're supposed to do to get those orders ready on time. Then when the order's ready, your waiter or waitress comes out and serves you. They didn't make it. They didn't supply it. They just served it. And that's what we're called to do, is to serve what God gives us to serve. His supply into our lives is what we serve up. Are you with me? It's all we're called to do. Paul put it this way, he says, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. I received of the Lord that I delivered unto you. You can only deliver unto people what you receive of the Lord. That's all we can do. That's the best we can do. That's what we're called to do. So that's why we must take time to be with the Lord. And whenever he, the needer rises, then we go into the kitchen, then he gives us the supply, and then we go out and we serve that. Say, well, I got a witness to somebody this week. There's somebody in my heart and I got to go to them. What are you going to do? Well, you go before the Lord. You get your Bible out. You have a little time of prayer and you say, now, Lord, lead me and guide me. Help me, Lord. Give me some scriptures. Give me something to say. Uh, you know, and, and then he does by the help of the Holy Spirit. And then you go and then you serve that. That's what you're called to do, to serve what he gives you. So he is the supplier, we are the servers. And then, notice how that Jesus told these men to pick up all their fragments that remained. What's that about? Pick up all the fragments that remain. Is Jesus concerned about the environment? Possibly. Although I'm sure the birds the next morning would have had a feast at that. But possibly. Was it to show that his abundance mustn't be abused? Possibly. To show that his blessings, we can't just take them for granted? Possibly. Was it to show that that little boy who gave 
the seed of his lunch now gets back a harvest of 12 baskets full? Possibly. But I think whatever you take out of it, I think the bottom line is that with Christ was saying that every single fragment counts. Every piece is important. Every bit is worth saving. No wastage, no loss. How much of the day do we use for the kingdom of God? The fragment of a day. How is that employed? You remember the parable Jesus told about the vineyard owner, how he went out uh, to hire men to come and work for him. You know, at the third hour, early, early, early morning, the sixth hour, then the ninth hour, and then lo and behold, the eleventh hour. One hour before quitting time. One hour and night time would fall and no work could be done. And that vineyard owner looked at the day, he looked at the sky, he realized there's just one hour left and the work's not finished yet. I need to maximize this one fragment of the day. And he goes out and he hires people to work that one hour. Remember how he paid them all the same, which caused a bit of a bit of a ruckus among the workers. What about your day and my day? Is is there is there wastage? Do we utilize our day? Do we take our time to read, to seek the Lord, to how how do we manage our day? How do we manage our week? <coughs> Because if we go from one end of the week from the other and we never open this book or we never seek the Lord, then we're not really doing very well, are we? But if we're saying, Lord, I just don't want to waste all this time. I don't want to waste it all. I want to make sure that I'm using it correctly. Even the very fragments of it that's being used the right way. And so he said to them, go and pick up all their fragments that none be left, that everything is utilized to the best of our ability. Fragment of a life, how he redeemed it. Woman taken in adultery, her life was in pieces, wasn't it? It was in pieces. Embarrassed, ashamed, stigmatized, dragged before everybody. Must have been a horrible, horrible experience. Publicly humiliated. Life's in tatters. But Jesus redeems the fragment that remained. And he forgives her. And he sends her on her way, a different woman. 
And the Lord looks at people and there's maybe not much left. Their lives is racked, ruined, messed up, destroyed, wasted. But he sees something that's worth redeeming. He sees a fragment that he can touch. Many a person, that's her testimony. Their life was an absolute mess. Seemed to be irredeemable. No hope. Nobody gave them hope. They didn't give themselves hope. But the Lord came. And even though there's only a fragment left, the Lord came and he redeemed it. A fragment of a character, a reputation. Zacchaeus didn't have much of a reputation because he didn't have much of a character. Roman tax collector, the most hated people in Israel, despised. What an awful profession. Traitor to your people, scamming them, skimming them, becoming rich of the fat of your own people. I was watching a program the other night and about the war and uh, but the, the ghettos uh, all over Europe when the Nazis uh, you know, put the Jews in the ghettos. And, and there was one particular man, I forget his name now, how that they would get maybe the head of the ghetto and, uh, and they collaborated with the Nazis to get the people to go calmly and quietly to the, to the wagons to go off to their death. They said they didn't know said they had no idea what they were going to, but nobody believed that. I think the worst came when they made announcements and they got before the people and said, give, give me your children, give me your children. said that was the worst. Absolutely despised and hated. Zacchaeus was hated and despised. He had no reputation left. But Jesus saw something, just a fragment. Remember he looked up the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, today I must abide at your house. Bless you. Today I must abide at your house. And what a change came into that life. Lord, half of my riches I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay them back fourfold. <laughs> So maybe what the Lord was doing with these fragments that remained was to show his disciples, look, you're going to have to serve and you're going to have to go out into this wild world and you're going to meet all kinds of people with all kinds of needs and all sorts of situations and you're going to have to redeem the fragments that remain. We serve God by commitment, not convenience. Serving God is both spiritual and practical. Serving God is not dependent on how much you have, but how much you're willing to give. He's the supplier. We are the servers. Jesus cares for the fragments that remain. So God has called us not only to love him, but to serve him. And to serve people. And say, well, people thank you for it. Most won't. But that's not what it's about. 
you do it unto the Lord. If you're waiting for people to thank you for it, forget it. Some will, of course, but most won't even think about it. But you do it as unto the Lord. And He sees it and He marks it because we're doing it for His sake. Amen. And when you do that, then you're serving God the right way for the right reasons. Let's pray. Lord, you have called all of us onto service tonight. Some, Lord, that will be in a church setting, but the vast majority it will be out there in the workplace, be among friends and family and neighbors and loved ones. Lord, help us to serve you effectively and faithfully and consistently. For, Lord, there is great joy and blessing and fulfillment in serving you because you have the heart of a servant. And you came to this life and you showed us how to serve. You washed feet. And we thank you for that. So Lord, give us the grace and give us the strength to be able to be servants and to reach out and touch lives of those around us and bring blessing and minister and bring salvation. And whatever else, Lord, that you supply us with, help us to serve the people with that. With your love and your compassion, and your mercy. So Lord, this week there will be opportunity for each of us to serve you, to minister on your behalf, to be your hands and your feet and your lips in this world. Thank you for the privilege of it. Bless us, Lord, as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.